absolutely. Men just don't do as well on their own. Now, the other part of it is that we have the nagging factor, which is a woman nagging a husband about eat a certain way, um, go to the doctor, you know, things like that. So it's called the nagging factor, but in fact, it's really something that's, that's quite beneficial to men. This week, Dr. Karen Sherman and I discuss a new study out that links being married with a lack of dementia later on in life. So what gives? Dr. Karen Sherman and I dig into it. Stay tuned. I'm going to keep this short. First, thank you for listening. If you're a regular listener, I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave a review on whatever platform you listen to us on. This will help others discover us. Also, if you like the podcast, I highly recommend visiting our website, hitchedmag.com, which is updated daily with new content and where you will find thousands of articles available anytime. Lastly, I understand that not everything we talk about applies to everyone. However, I am confident that if you go to hitchmag.com and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, that you will find at least one and probably more pieces of information each week that will help your marriage thrive. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the brilliant, the original Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. I'm, uh, I'm sounding not so brilliant because I know the topic and I don't know if I'm going to feel brilliant today. You have reservations. <laughs> That's okay. I do. Uh, well, um, be, let, well, let's just jump into it. Let's jump into okay. it. Um, okay. Okay. So the topic today, it's a new study that actually came out this morning. So I was kind of excited. Um, you know, I, I usually rummage around um, internet the internet for new studies that have come out, you know, sometimes people will send them to me. Um, and so this new one that came out, uh, will, basically it showed that it found that married people are less likely to experience dementia as they age in comparison mm-hmm. to other relationship groups. Um, mm-hmm. so first and foremost, the researchers analyzed, um, and I should state that they're from Michigan State University, uh, mm-hmm. analyzed data between the year 2000 and 2014, and the sample that they looked at included more than 15,000 respondents, ages uh, between 52 and older, um, in the year 2000. Uh, so they were measuring their cogni- cognitive function every two years via phone or in person. Mm-hmm. Um, the researchers found a link, and this is where I think we're a little uneasy, but we're going to you know talk about it. <laughs> yes. uh, they found a link, but don't stipulate why the link is happening in terms of why is it that married people experience less dementia as they age. So... Like reading the headline, married people don't experience dementia like the other groups. Like, what's your what's your initial thought on something like that? Really, <laughs> <laughs> that's my initial thought. I mean, I know plenty of people who unfortunately suffer from Alzheimer's and they're married. So I, 
I'm really taken aback by that. But if I have to think about it, because I still do have my cognitive function, thank goodness, um, I would say that maybe it's because they have companionship, they talk to each other, um, they do caring things for each other, you know, um, as far as uh, being aware of each other's health habits and eating and things like that. But you see then, which we haven't, told the listening audience yet, you're also going to compare them to people who cohabitate and uh, the cohabitators don't have as good results. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, the initial, yeah, the initial thought is, oh, well, they're flexing this muscle um, because of the companionship. But like you said, uh, as we're about to talk, the cohabitating couples didn't experience the same thing. So, um, yeah, so essentially what they they looked at economic factors, and we'll talk about in a second, but mm-hmm. um, they found that married couples also reported lower risks than ho- cohabitating couples. Um, you know, it one, before we get into that really quick, one of the things that I did want to mention is you immediately brought up, well, I know several or uh, several people who are married who have uh, their spouse or they themselves have experienced uh, dementia or whatever, um, Alzheimer's and that kind of functionality. Um, you know, this isn't saying it doesn't happen to you if you're married, right? Like, Correct. I, I, I just wanted to point that out that... Um, this is just saying that if those relationships experienced it less than the other relationships. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So I just wanted to put that out there because I, f- yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't absolve you. It's not a totally protective factor that you're never going to have it. Um, and I guess, you know, most of the people that I know are married, so I can speak to people who are um, single or, you know, the other comparison group. Yeah. So I guess you're right to call me on that. Okay. Well, the, the other thing that I was thinking, too, is, you know, we have we have a lot of mental health issues in our country, in ter- and specifically in terms of the support that we provide uh, in, the, in this country. And mm-hmm. when you look at the homelessness uh, problems that we have. A lot of the people who uh, are homeless have mental health issues. And Correct. I would probably guess that the older ones probably do suffer from some sort of dementia mm-hmm. type stuff. And mm-hmm. my uh, my other guess on that is that they're probably not married. Yes. You know, so, um, but, you know, are those people that were one of the 15,000 that were in this study? Like, I don't know. Uh, so, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so, so do you have any thoughts on the cohabitating thing? Like, why it might be that married couples suffer less dementia than the cohabitating couples? No, not really. Not really. I mean, one would think. Okay, so here's what we know: that there really is a a difference in the level of commitment of whether you're cohabitating or whether you're married, but. You know, we're talking about people who are 52 and older. Mm-hmm. So I think that if you're cohabitating when you're 52, it's a little different than when you're cohabitating when you're 25. I think there's a more serious element to your living together when you've reached, you know, 
old, more than middle age. So I, I don't really understand why they would find less of a, um, you know, problem with dementia in co, uh, in uh, married couples as opposed to cohabitators. What did you think when you read it? I, you know what, I didn't really have a good. Uh, grasp of it until you were talking, and then an idea came into my head. Go ahead. Which is, so the respondents are 52 or older. Mm -hmm. They don't stipulate as to whether or not the cohabitating couples are also divorced and or widowed. So that, ah, so that those that's cohabit- a very good point, right? So the like these could be like muddied numbers a little bit, and that yeah, you could be cohabitating, but both might have come from uh, divorced relationships, or they may have been widowed, um, which would fall in line with all the other stuff that does kind that's of make right. sense. Yes. So you absolutely right. So you would have like the financial stress or the the, the emotional or, stress. Right. 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 So yes, that would absolutely makes sense. Um, okay. So then the next question, which I you know I keep alluding to this, um, one of the items that the researchers uh, did find that contributed to dementia were economic factors. Um, which made it tougher on uh, for divorced couples and those who were widowed or those who are never married, um, and we, you know, and I bring that up uh, because they didn't spell it out um, from what I was seeing. But basically, when you are a married couple, you have a dual, like in our country at least, dual income is kind of the standard. That's the average, mm-hmm. and and so. Uh, you know, when you're divorced, like, you know, you could be cohabitating again, but part of what you're making is, you know, typically going to the other spouse that if you have correct. kids or something like that. So right. the income isn't really matching up. Um, mm-hmm. The thing that I thought um, was so, okay, before I jump to my next question. So do you think that these economic factors play a role because of the stress or is it the access to healthcare or is it access to better food, meaning a better diet? Because we know there are like, you know, good foods for your brain kind of thing. Uh, do you think it's any one of those things? Do you think it m- might be all of the above or something else? Well, this may be my lens because, you know, my profession is uh, psychological. And, um, so I look at a lot of things that way, not that I preclude other factors, but I think when you've got a divorce group and you've got a widowed group, you've got a different kind of emotional stress that married couples don't have. Mm -hmm. Um, and that stress we know, uh, plays havoc on your system. And stress can cause inflammation, and inflammation is tied into dementia and and you know those kinds of cognitive issues. And now I'll just go back a little because I had another thought about the cohabitators. Maybe, and again, we're really guessing around the subject. Yeah. And I read the study, and I didn't feel. I mean, the study reported these links, but as you said, did not give any reasons. Maybe. By being married and having that commitment, there is less stress. Mm. You you know that you're with somebody who's really in it, where with cohabitors, uh, you don't really know that for sure. There is some stress about not knowing, you know, 
is that partner really there with you? Now, obviously, um, when you get married, there's always the possibility that the marriage is going to end, but you don't go into a marriage thinking that. You go in thinking, okay, you know, this person and myself have really made this commitment to each other. So, the way I look at it is, and I'm not saying that economic and you know financial things don't affect you. Absolutely, they do. But I think a lot of it has to do with the stress factor. Certainly, if you're widowed, certainly if you're divorced, um, if you're never married, I think all of that leads to stress, which then would have an impact on your cognition or mm-hmm. lack of mm-hmm. cognitive ability. That's great. I uh, I. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and going back to the uh, cohabitating thing and the stress that it brings, it made me think immediately of what you often refer to as slide versus decide, mm-hmm. where there's that uncertainty that a lot of couples face where they will kind of slide into marriage as opposed to deciding yeah. to get married. And right. there's, you know, there are two kinds of cohabitating couples in that regard where there are those who have decided, like, we're not going to get married. They're just we love the, the option that we're having choosing, which is to live together, but not this, it's being strung along and you have the stress of like, are we ever going to get married kind of a thing. Um, the other part of that though, and so Jess, my wife, her mom and uh, husband, now husband, they lived together by choice um, mm-hmm. for decades, decades. And then mm-hmm. it wasn't until um, one of them got sick that mm. it was... Oh, there are some legal rights that you gain through the institution of marriage mm-hmm. that we don't want to miss out on because because we're not following you know society's rules. So mm-hmm. they then decided to get married. So there would be that added stress if you were cohabitating and yes. somebody did get sick or there were some like weird financial hiccups and you don't have access to the same amount of things that you might otherwise if you were just married. Right, right. Um, Okay, so uh, the thing that I found that was most interesting was that divorcees are about twice as likely as married people to develop dementia. That's not the the surprising part. The the part that surprised me um, is... Actually, I'm jumping ahead my question. I right. feel like we've already, yeah, I feel like we've already covered that. So the most surprising thing to me, though, is um, the the subgroup of the divorce. Whereas that that showed um, men showed greater disadvantage mm-hmm. than than the divorced women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were just talking about economic factors, and unfortunately, in our country, men on average make what is it like? Uh, women make. 77 78 cents to the dollar of the man on average so Mm -hmm. if if the economics were the thing you would think that men would do better because um right they you know if their spouse passed away they would be uh, uh, on have less financial uh restraints put on them than than women would but it's Mm -hmm. just the opposite women seem to do better when the man passes away um do you, or don't do as badly. Or don't do, or don't do as badly. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so do you have any thoughts on why that might be? Yes. Okay. Um, okay, so we know that, um, forget about dementia for a minute. In general, when a man is widowed, he 
um, tries to find a mate much faster than a woman does because when men get older, their hormones shift and they are in much greater need of connecting with a mate. Um, And they don't do as well on their own as a woman does. Some women never remarry after a divorce or after being widowed. Whereas when a man is alone, he generally will find a mate fairly quickly. Men just don't do as well on their own. Now, the other part of it is that we have the nagging factor, which is a woman nagging a husband about eat a certain way, um, go to the doctor, you know, things like that. So it's called the nagging factor, but in fact, it's really something that's that's quite beneficial to men. Mm-hmm. So if a man is on his own vis-a-vis the divorce, um, he's super stressed out, he's got nobody else that's taking care of him and... Um, um, telling him to eat properly, to get the right amount of sleep, to drive carefully, not to drink so much, you know, um, not to get, you know, to make sure he's going to his doctor's appointments, et cetera, et cetera. And so he is not going to be in his great shape anymore mm-hmm. because he's divorced. And then again, the stress of it um, and just the loneliness factor. So all of that combined is going to, going to put him in a much worse position than a divorced woman. Yeah. Yeah, I uh when I when I saw that initially, my first thought was cuz we've talked a lot about that support that women have mm-hmm. and so that was my initial snap reaction yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, I do wanted to like really quick circle back to the um the fact that divorcees are about twice as likely as married people to develop dementia, did that surprise mm-hmm. you that, that that was like no. such a gap? No, not at all. Not at all. Again, because there's so many other factors um, that divorcees are dealing with. And um, again, we now know, and I think even traditional doctors accept this, that stress is such a major component for having an ill effect on health that um, and divorce is just a, a horrible, horrible experience. Mm-hmm. Um, even good divorces are horrible experiences to go through. So um, I, I, you know, I, I think that it's not at all surprising. And as I'm thinking about it, you know, when you look, there's actually a scale um, which tells you the amount of um, points, shall we say, that we give to different events in one's life and how stressful they are. And um, losing your spouse, I believe, is the number one factor, although in my mind, losing a child would be worse than that. But anyway, losing a spouse. But you see, if, if a spouse dies, you have been left, but not because they left you. It wasn't their choice. They Mm -hmm. died. But if you're divorced, somebody has chosen to leave you. So there's a a whole other additional element to it. You're not only just alone, but there's all that other piece of, wasn't I good enough? Did I do something wrong? Could it have been different? So there's a an additional element to the loss that a widowed person doesn't have. Again, I'm thinking in terms of the stress factor, the psychological aspect, which then 
uh, impacts one's health. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm really glad that you keep going back to the stress thing because I do feel like if, if, and when we get the, the underlying, uh, follow-up research on this, that you're going to, we're going to see that stress is the, uh, stress plus the inflammation that it causes puts the strain on the body and all that stuff that you've been mentioning. Um, the other thing that I wanted to add just about the divorce stuff is there's, you know, divorce doesn't happen uh, um, out of the blue with happy couples. Like there's usually something wrong. So yes. You've been talking about um, the stress that it puts on, but, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people get divorced. And so it could be just bad health habits that have you know, maybe it got all the way to addiction or abuse or whatever. Mm. And there's like all these things that, uh, might have tipped people into that divorce thing. Um, that's an interesting point. Yep. So, you know, like we, it's one of those things where I just feel like you might like, I'm trying to be very delicate with my wording because I don't want to, I don't want to act like I'm blaming people who get divorced as being, um, so that something's wrong, but I'm just saying that sometimes people get divorced because things are wrong. And when that's the case, that, that could lead into all this other stuff as well. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So let me see if I can say it a different way. Sometimes the reasons for divorce are factors, there are mitigating factors, and that those same mitigating factors could could also have an impact on leading to cognitive issues or dementia or Alzheimer's or things like that. Uh, would that would, would much, that be yeah. a fair phrase? Okay. Yes, much more eloquent. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, sometimes you're far more eloquent than I am. So uh, we're, it's even, it's okay. Okay, okay good. Um, so with, with all that being said, um, I, I do find this interesting, um, and I do I do uh, thank the the fine people at Michigan State for um, looking at this data. Was there anything else that you uh, any final thoughts or anything you wanted to add before we wrap this up? Uh, no, not really. Um, I mean, I think it's you know clearly a very uh, intense kind of study. Their numbers are, you know, quite large. Um, so again, I would hope that they could do some follow-up study as to looking at where some are, they can try to get at some of the factors that lead to it. Um, but certainly a very interesting factor, yeah. uh, interesting study, as you said. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that, um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I, it, it's always a pleasure to have you on, Karen. Um, before you go, I want to remind everybody that they have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, who is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for over 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this information at her website, drkarensherman.com. Of course, you can find it at our website, hitchmag.com, uh, along with, you know, hundreds of past podcasts, thousands of articles, and much, much more. So thank you so much for your time, Karen. It's always, uh, it's always fun. Thank you, Steve. All right. That's going to do it, everybody. Take care. Explode. We're on top of the world tonight.